so glad you're listening to Talk Healthy today. I did an interview some time ago with the fantastic Henry Winkler. Yes, the Fonz. Yes, Hank Zipser. Yes, Arrested Development and more. I am such a huge fan. And you know what else I'm a huge fan of? I am a huge fan of the Kind Bar. Well, if you're ready to try some tasty and healthy snacks, we've got a special deal for you that I know you're going to love. Okay, you can try 10 Kind Bars for free and all you have to do is pay shipping. Now, when you order the sample box, you'll also get to try Kind Snack Club. You'll receive monthly snacks at a discount and get members only bonuses. You know, honestly, my daughter and I both love these snacks. I love that they have so many different varieties from my favorite dark chocolate and sea salt to caramel almond and sea salt, my daughter's favorite, to ones that have wonderful oats and quinoa and other great ingredients. So if you want to try this wonderful sample box for free, just for shipping and handling, you would go to kindsnacks.com slash talk. Again, that's kindsnacks.com slash T-A-L-K. And we thank them for supporting this podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you're helping to support this podcast. And without further ado, here comes Henry Winkler. Hey, I am so excited to have the fantastic one and only original Henry Winkler on the program. We're going to be talking about dyslexia, Hank Zipser, Barry Zuckercorn, and much more. Henry, welcome. I'm so happy to be in your house. Oh. And I would like to say you keep it very clean. <laughs> I, I have to start with Barry Zuckercorn just mm-hmm. because I am such a huge fan of Arrested Development. And I'm so happy that you are very prominent this season. I just, every time you come on, I slap my husband's leg and I said, it's Henry, it's Henry. And we get so excited. And I told my brother who had never watched the series somehow. And I thought, it, this humor's up his alley. And when I told him you were in it, he's like, oh, I'm definitely watching. And he loves it. So, But, you know, I'll tell you, when yes. uh, every time that I'm asked to film, when we first started a long time ago with Arrested Development, I was only going to be in one or two episodes, and I stayed for three years. (laughs) And I'm just thrilled to death uh, to be part of it because those those people are so inventively funny. They really are. I mean, they're – when I look at – uh, the guy who plays Tobias, and I can't believe I'm blanking on his name right now. David Cross. David, David Cross. Right. I can't get over how hysterical he is. And everyone on that show. But in real life, he's hysterical. I mean. Oh, I bet. He is just an absurdist stand-up comic. <laughs> how do you keep it together, Henry? I think is everyone, is there are a lot of takes because they're so funny. You know what? There's no time for oh. a lot of takes. Okay. Um, Mitch Hurwitz, who is a walking, talking genius is there all the time and watches the uh, the content like a hawk because in his head it's so clear what he wants. I see. And uh, just everybody is on the top of their game. How about Jessica Walters? Oh, my gosh. Is she a funny human being <laughs> or what? She is so hysterical. And yeah. I have to say that Kristen Wiig playing her younger her when she was younger, she has it down pat. But of course, my my son got to be in that scene, not me. Uh, oh my, okay, that was your son. Yes. Oh my god! Because I kept That's saying to Matt. my husband, he looks just like Henry. How did they find this guy who looks just like Henry? And it didn't yeah. even occur to me. They found him in my house. <laughs> Henry, that's so funny. Well, yeah. I, 
I have to say, I think the dictionary, when you open it to mensch, it should have a picture of you. For people who don't know mensch, it's a Yiddish word. It basically is like a good person. And I have watched you through the years, and you've always struck me as such a down-to-earth, kind, and sweet man. And I honestly, like, you should get a award for nicest person ever. I mean, you just... Yeah, but you know, I have to say, honestly, honestly, I mean, I don't... I don't think about that. What I think about is I am grateful mm. to be on the earth. I bet. That's it. Aww. And, you know, I live by two words, uh, tenacity, which gets you where you want to go no matter what, and gratitude, which allows you to enjoy the journey and not be angry along the way. I love that. And coming from you, knowing about your background, I was so horrified to read that your parents used to call you a word in German that meant dumb dog and the oppressiveness yeah, of your household. Talk to us about that. It, the My parents um, escaped Nazi Germany. Mm. Uh, they came here. They built a, uh, a brand new life uh, with almost no living relative. All of my relatives in New York City were also uh, survivors of uh, the Holocaust. And it was that community, they became my aunts and my uncles, you know, uh, and every uh, holiday was celebrated with them mm. as opposed to, uh, you know, blood relatives. And uh, pretty soon there was no difference. Oh, sure. But my parents were very, very strict. Uh, so strict that it literally, um, it, it had no bearing on who I was or what I was capable of. Yeah, and I, I just, you know, I think of you as this child who has this learning difference and nobody has any idea and there's no support. And I look at my daughter who's on the autism spectrum and has ADHD and, you know, other learning differences. And I think, my gosh, she has our support completely. She's got a whole team of people at her school. She's thriving yeah. because people understand. And, you know, we wrote this or we co-edited this book I did with Trisha Bliven Chazanoff, Easy to Love but Hard to Live With in the Easy to Love but Hard to Raise series where people share their stories. And there are stories of people who lived at a time where they had this invisible challenge and nobody acknowledged it. And, and what was that like for you? Well, I'll tell you what it was like for me. What it taught me was never to be like that again. Good. That when I, I'm, I would lie awake, I would dream about being an actor. I would dream about my parents moving and leaving no forwarding address. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> and, and, I would, and I would dream or think about when I'm a parent my children will be able to say what is on their mind uh, at any time. And that's the way that we lived uh, when my kids were younger and in the house. That makes all the difference. By the way, I love your book, I Never Met an Idiot on the River, and I, I just want to read something from it. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned as a parent is that if you really listen, you can hear what your children truly need rather than what you want to give them. Active listening is a secret art at the center of experience. I don't know anything about fly fishing, but I picked up the book because I adore you. 
And it was like reading your journal, you know? You're so honest. Well, it is true. It's it's stuff that I have learned along the way. It is stuff that I've learned when I am on the river um, fly fishing for trout and uh, photographs that I've taken. Now, I'm so dyslexic, I can't actually turn a knob on the camera. So I just point and shoot, and then once in a while, I get a good picture. But I did learn from my children that if you are just quiet and you listen and watch them, they will tell you at every moment what exactly they need um, for the, the next moment in their life. And that's so key, isn't it? And I think that one of the things that I know you do is you tell children that they're great. And you talk about your three children having learning differences and how you discovered at 31 because of your stepson, Jed, right? Tell yeah, us about that. Right. What, what did that feel like? The, the first thing that happened was I got very angry because I thought, oh, my goodness, all that grounding, all that punishment, all that yelling, all that misunderstanding was completely for naught. Because no matter what they, my parents said or my teacher said, I wasn't getting geometry. It was like someone was speaking Russian to me. And then the next thing I realized was I was having a pretty good life as an adult. And nobody at any moment in my life anywhere in the world ever actually said to me, hypotenuse. <laughs> that word never came up. Love that. You know, then I thought, okay, maybe I would not be where I am today in my um, in my house or in my life if it if it wasn't for the struggle with my learning challenges. Maybe it made me stronger and more directed and tougher. And here I am. Yeah, and you are. Amazing. And you're such an inspiration to so many. And of course, you've created this fantastic series of Hank Zipser and you use your real teacher's name. Who yes. says she hates well, my, the one teacher, one, one of your Ms. Teachers, Adolf, Ms. Adolf, who oh, I think is related. I was about to say, yeah, the name kind of gives it away. But there, right? truly, that was her name. And <laughs> her soul was gray. Oh. This was a mean woman. But Mr. Rock, who I had later on in high school, who's the music teacher, uh, you know, I, when, I, when I speak publicly, I always say it's amazing. You say one positive sentence to somebody, and that person will take that thought and put it in their heart and carry it with them for the rest of their life. Oh, yeah. It's amazing what a positive role model of a teacher or a parent or a relative or a good friend of the family can do for a child that's struggling and feels like nobody understands them. And thank goodness you had Mr. Rock who believed in you because I know your self-esteem took such a beating. And even today, Henry, and this is what concerns me, you know, I have a good friend whose son has ADD and attentive type, and he's always saying, oh, I'm stupid. Everybody thinks I'm stupid. And even though he has a support system and the other kids, Oh, no, no. Oh, you are so right because the child knows they're not doing well. The child knows. The, um, uh, you know, you don't have to scold them or make them feel bad. You know, there are teachers who you can't read very well, and so they make you do 100 push-ups in front of the class. Oh, goodness. Uh, or they say, oh, at your age, you should know that by now. You know? And it's, like, shocking to me 
that we're not so far along. Now, there are incredible teachers who really understand the child who learns differently. Now, and my hat is off to them. I've met them here. I've met them in England. I've met them in Italy. But, wowie, there are so many people who are still left in the dust when it comes to kids who really just, they're allergic to school. Yeah, you know, I was going to bring that up. I heard you say that in an interview. And for my daughter, I really learned that, you know, just try to get her to talk. How do you feel? We understand it's hard. That you have to active listen. You have to really validate their experience and say, yeah. I, I know it's hard, honey, but you do need to go and you can always talk to me or let me know what's going on. But back when you were raised, and for some kids still, it breaks my heart. Their parents are just like, you're lazy. You're not trying. Yes, that's and that's right. not the case And then, you know, all. every day I would think, okay, Today, I'm going to get it. Today, I'm okay, I'm going to just try differently and today. And I always was looking for another way in to understanding what the hell the teacher was talking about. And, uh, you know, I, I still can't spell. Uh, I still cannot do math. Reading is still uh, torturous to me. Yeah, I was in a special ed math when I was young, and now they have a word for it. Uh, discal- I'll probably say it wrong, Henry. Dyscalculia or dyscalcula, and I definitely had that. My daughter this morning, okay, so we were counting her allowance, and I asked her to just not pressure, just said, oh, hon, do you want to count the quarters? And she started screaming. She, gets, she started crying and screaming at me. I don't want to do that. You know I hate math. Any advice when the child, she's only eight is so vehement that they're bad at it. Cause I always told myself growing up, I'm bad at math. I'm bad at math. And then I just didn't want to try. So I'm worried. Cause I'm like, well, I don't want to push her. That's not my style, but I also don't want her to like keep telling herself this. So mm-hmm. do you have any advice? Cause I know a lot of parents listening. You know in what? That situation. I, I have to say, um, uh, not, I only know my children and I, this is what I said to them. If you try as hard as you possibly can, Whatever comes home is perfect with us. If I see that you're not trying, that you don't even try, then you will, um, there will be um, a consequence. That's great advice. Because then, you know, Max, what's my youngest, he would listen to the radio. And I would say to him, you can't listen to the radio when you're doing homework. It's the way it was with me. You know, I was just repeating, um, oh, my goodness. you!" But then maybe I realized the radio shut out the rest of the world, allowed him to concentrate on what he was doing. So I learned to just shut up. (laughs) I think a lot of parents need to learn that. I'm not kidding. I agree. The grades were coming home. So what was I saying? What, what, what was, you know, what, my thing, had, what I was feeling or um, I- imposing wasn't really helping the issue. It didn't change the issue. He was doing it, and he figured out a, a style all his own. You know, um, my kids, uh, you're supposed to have a really great desk, a good light, a good chair for them to do their homework. My son never sat in a chair for his entire high school career. <laughs> He stood at his desk and maybe he put his knee on the chair. See, but that's where you're you're listening and you're seeing what works for your own individual child instead of putting them in that box, right? 
that it was working. So then get out of the way. <laughs> if it's, you know, don't fix it if it's not broken. Yeah, that's so true. I look at the work that you've done, uh, you know, on dyslexia and going around the world and talking to people. And there, there was one story I heard you share about when you were the Fonz and there was a little girl with autism. Tell us about, just share that oh, for people. I love my. that story, Henry. I'm telling you, that happened in the late 70s. And here we are in 2013, and that story still gives me the chills. I was the um, uh, honorary uh, mayor, the honorary um, chairperson of an arts festival downtown in L.A. for kids with special needs, with um, uh, kids who learn differently. There was dancing, there was art, there was music, uh, kids in wheelchairs were doing ballets. It was the, so beautiful. But there they were. And I'm walking through the crowd, I'm hugging, and all of a sudden, a little girl behind me says, Fonz! And I turned around, and her mother is shaking. Her mother is crying. And we, we calmed the mother down and said, excuse me, what? I'm, I'm so sorry, what happened? Can I help you? She said, my daughter is seven, my daughter is autistic, and my daughter just said the first word in her life. And a year later, I went back in the same capacity, was walking through the crowd, met that same little girl, added a hundred words to her vocabulary, and she asked me to hug her sister because I had hugged her the year before. Something in the in in the show, Happy Days, something with the character um, just jumped off the screen and worked its way inside her. And I was humbled. I bet. I mean, you know, I posted on Facebook that I was going to be interviewing you, and I can't t I mean, everybody's absolutely thrilled. And one of my best friends, her sister emailed and said, I always had problems with learning, and because of the Fonz, I got my library card. Now, that was huge. It, it was amazing. I did, uh, I said one sentence, and the um, registration for library cards went up 500 percent oh what's it like to have that much influence i didn't even think about it oh, really? I, i'm not kidding wow. all i did was i thought oh well that you know the writers knew what they were doing we did a an episode where the fonz cried when richie was in an accident and where that came from was there was a a school for boys who were in detention and they would have, you know, group meetings, and the guys loved the Fonz, but they never showed uh, emotion. And so the, uh, the facility wrote to Gary Marshall and said, would you have the Fonz show emotion so that when these guys see it, they'll see it's okay to open up that way. And that's where the, the Fonz crying over Richie, uh, that's where the genesis was. Oh, my gosh. You know, one of the things I read about you being the Fonz is you were able to be what you wanted to be. What was it like to, to be able to step into that and feel that confidence? Well, you know what? The confidence, um, uh, believe it or not, I thought about this a lot. I thought about this then. The confidence was most...
mostly um, artificial. The confidence came not from inside me, but from all the externals of uh, the popularity, the enjoying being on the TV show, uh, making a living. Um, and I understood that it was like walking on cotton, and if there was a rainstorm, that cotton would become soggy and no longer hold me up. God, that's such a great analogy. And what happened once you realized that? In my late 40s, I started to struggle with the truth is you kind of know what you're doing. The truth is you're not stupid. So you have to let one of those go. But what I realized was when you're, when you're shedding uh, one identity that you've grown up with, you don't just say, okay, now I'm going to think another way. It was like taking a Bowie knife and cutting my old identity off my bone because it wouldn't go. The idea of being stupid, the idea of not being worthy, the idea of not being as good as somebody else was clinging to me like uh, it, it wrapped its tail around my skeleton. And, but slowly but surely, the other reality that, you know what, you know pretty, you know what you're doing. You, you know uh, stuff in the world. It, you know, it's that, that old you is not necessarily the total truth. And then there was a, a major war going on inside my brain until I had to beat the old identity into submission. And by doing that, talk to us about the process of letting go of the anger you had at your parents, if forgiveness. No, I haven't, I haven't completely done that yet. I, I have to say that the balance now is more, um, you know, that I, for the longest time, I'm sorry, uh, but this is the truth, I forgot that I had them as parents. I mean, that joke I made before um, is, is funny, and I also borrowed it from a stand-up comedian, but it was the truth. I mean, I used to sit in class and dream that they moved, and when I came home, they weren't there, and I didn't know where they went. And I figured out, you know what, I'll just figure out how to survive. Because it would have been easier than what they were putting you through. Yeah. yeah. But now, uh, you know, I, I've always appreciated the life that I was given. That is true. Um, but when I got on television and the character became very popular, you know, and they were proud and, and I didn't care. It was exactly. too late. You need to be proud of your child in the struggle when that child is fighting to get out of a stainless steel cylinder with no toehold. That's when you're proud of them. And you know, and so many parents, and you forget that all of these lear learning challenges, it's all hereditary. Mm -hmm. The child is born oh, that way. Yeah. You know, I have a, a, a friend, and the, oh, I, the point I was gonna make is that some parents are embarrassed that their mm. child is not up That's to snuff, so is not doing well. Yeah, really? Want to take any responsibility? <laughs> but uh, 
I, I have a, we have a, a good acquaintance who is a uh, pediatric neurosurgeon. And I've had lots and lots of chats with him. And he said at the beginning of his career, he was positive. A child was born. It was 80 percent nurture, twenty percent nature. It was really the parent's job to, you know, really guide that child. And now he is absolutely convinced it is eighty percent nature, twenty percent nurture. Oh. Yes. Those children, they they pop out of uh, um, out of the mom, and they are who they oh are. Oh my God, Henry! I'm so glad you said that because as soon as my I knew literally 30 seconds after my daughter was born that she was going to be like my mother because she we have a picture of her five minutes old. Her eyes are wide open and she's staring. At her two-month visit, the doctor said she had the alertness of an eight-month-old. She never slept. She cried all the time, screamed all the time. Eventually, she got a PDD-NOS diagnosis and ADHD and SPD and NLD. I mean, she's got so many initials. It's ridiculous. But the bottom line is my mother had severe sensory processing disorder and her story reminds me of yours. Everyone just thought she was crazy. She was, everything was too loud, too bright, too smelly, too this. She couldn't handle this. The house was like an icebox, et cetera, et cetera. And she died at it. Can yeah. you imagine being inside It's there? terrible. And everything is bombarding. That's how it. That's how it is for my daughter. I mean, she's come a long way, and but for my mother, she died in her fifties of ovarian cancer, never knowing this. And then I have my daughter, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And then I found out about these issues. I was like, "Oh my god!" My mother suffered in silence, and that's why I wanted to do the book, "Easy to Love but Hard to Live With," because I want to share stories about people who lived at a time where there was no. And you know what? It is so majorly important. Because, you know, you, you're living it in your household. You lived it with your mom. And there are millions of people. Who, I'll, I'll tell you, um, honestly, Lisa, one of the greatest compliments of my life outside of my family. Children write and say about Hank Zipser. Oh, you're hilarious. That must be a fourth grade word because they all use that word. Oh, you're hilarious. And the next thing they write is, how did you know me so well? All people want to do is to realize I am not alone. But that's exactly. We're in this together. And your book, your understanding, your deep um, understanding of what it's like to live with this brain, with with your with your mom's brain, your daughter's brain is going to be like a beacon. Well, what's so nice, Henry, too, is that I can give my daughter all the support and love and understanding that my mother never got, and that's what's so huge. I see this. You know, I describe it in, in the dedication of the book that my mother lived in the shadows of invisible challenges, and my daughter lives in joy and light. What would you say to adults? Because part of the book, we have a lot of, actually, we have a lot of stories from people who are grown-ups talking about growing up with ADHD or dyslexia or depression or different issues. If, what did it mean for you to get that diagnosis? Or, you know, well, and, you know, you know, for 31 years, I thought I was stupid. And then, all of a sudden, I had something with a name. Now, it took another while until I realized I wasn't stupid. 
because that, that just stays with you. That's the, the conversation we had about cutting the old um, image of yourself off the bone. But, wow, it's releasing to know that you've got something and you aren't going to get geometry any way you cut the ice because your brain didn't work that way. You have to find what your gift is. You have to dig it out and you have to give it to the world because the world needs whatever you're great at. That is true. And think about all the people that you look up, famous people with ADHD. They always seem to be the most creative and entrepreneurial. And I- I've noticed that in so many Without people. Without a doubt. Right? Without a doubt. And so there's strengths that come from having these invisible challenges as well. Um, major, major, major strengths. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to let our kids know. Because yeah. when my daughter comes home and is sad that her friend is on a higher math level and her other friend can read better. I and know. I, I know. What do, I you, know. what do you say? I mean, well, I know what I say, but what do you say to something? What do I, know what what I, I say is yeah. that, you know... Each of us is an individual on this earth, and we all have our own strengths. And what it, maybe that young lady who is so good or that young fellow who is so good at math and they're on a higher level, maybe they can't do something that you can. That's true. I've never met anyone as empathetic as my daughter, and that's something that I find in a lot of people that have these invisible challenges. I mean, you are, like I said, you're like the biggest mensch I've ever spoken to, but I I really see that there's some, there's like a sensitivity I've noticed. Yeah, I agree. I can't even tell you this, how much this means to me. Oh, I had a wonderful time. I had a wonderful conversation. (laughs) 